Welcome to Made for Profit, a podcast where we talk business in the shop and help you monetize as a maker. Each week we cover business topics to help you grow your full-time business or your side hustle. We'll also bring you interviews from a variety of people winning in their space to share valuable business insights and life lessons. I'm Brad Rodriguez, a full-time content creator running FixThisBuildThat.com, and my co-host John Malecki runs a full-time furniture company in his content site, JohnMalecki.com. We've been growing our successful businesses online, and we want to bring you into the conversation and help you grow along with us. Welcome to episode 30. In this episode, we're going to jump into another interview. Uh, This time around, we're going to pivot away from the content creators and pick the brain of Jeff Mack, the founder and owner of Jeff Mack Designs in Toronto, Canada. Jeff has been in business for himself for a little over five years, and he got started doing metalworking signs, but he's now running a premier furniture business focusing on live edge tables and more. In 2017, Jeff did over $1 million in gross revenue and has expanded his furniture company to selling slab stock and dimensional lumber. With over 90% of his business coming from Instagram, Jeff has had major growth in his following to over 280,000 followers. It was great to talk to someone who's still grinding it out in the trenches and actually doing some product work. Yeah, I mean, I I just I loved getting that other side of it. We saw some feedback about they'd like to hear more product guys. And and that's what we're going to give you guys today. So we're really happy about that. And it's a great interview. But before we get into it, we do want to thank some new members who joined the MFP tribe this week. Uh, Brian Roberts and Rob Allen. Welcome aboard, guys. Uh, They went over to Patreon.com forward slash made for profit and joined there. And now they're going to be able to enjoy the after show and some other perks. So if you'd like to join, you can go there and head on over. Uh, But without further ado, let's go ahead and get into our interview with Jeff Mack. All right, so we are here today with somebody you guys are probably very familiar with if you're at all on Instagram, Jeff Mack Designs. Jeff, what is up, buddy? Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, man. We've been uh, we've been fans of yours for a long time. I know just coming through the the Instagram ranks and and kind of growing up there together. It's been fun to watch your account. And uh, obviously, you are a Canadian, so you know your Instagram is amazing. As we've been talking about, John and I. So. For some reasons, Canadians have a a big presence on Instagram. I don't I don't understand it, but that seems to be the case. Yeah. Well, it also is about, you know, the, the, what you do and, and, you know, we'll, we'll get into that, but I know it's been awesome. And I know you and John have, have uh, had a chance to connect, you know, we've not had a chance to meet in person, but yeah. uh, John, where did you guys, where did you guys meet at? Yeah, we were down at uh it was at Festal Connect this summer. So, um, you know, Jeff's got a, a lot of Festal tools in the shop and has been working with them for a while. It was your second or third time there, I think, right? Uh, second time. Yeah. And I was, it was my, my inaugural trip out to, um, to Indy for the uh for the show and it was just really cool there was a bunch of different people um there that i haven't i haven't actually uh connected with as much as i have now but it, you know canadian woodworks was out there um steve from there was was there that was awesome and uh, a bunch of the guys are actually producing furniture um for a living compared to just being content creators which is typically the shows that brad and i are at um so that was that was really sweet um and we got to connect with you know, a, a bunch of great people in the tool space as well. A lot of the tool reviewers and a lot of the guys that are out there and that, you know, can can smell a Festool tool and tell you what the gear ratios and blades, carbides and all that stuff is like those guys are those guys are incredible to us. So that was a really cool event. And, uh, and yeah, we, we were just vibing out there and we, we, we talked business mostly the whole time. And I was like, yeah, um, it was right when the show got started, I believe, Brad, or, or, or right before or after. And uh, yeah. and Jeff was like, yeah, dude, I've been checking it out. And I was like, 
Hmm. <laughs> and so, yeah, so we thought it'd be awesome to have you on, Jeff. And, and Jeff, why don't you just like take a minute? Because I think uh, one of the pieces of feedback that we got was like, hey, you know, we want to hear from more folks that are actually product guys. So the so far we've had content people on. And so I think it's really cool that uh, you are a, a product oriented business, um, even though you do content really well. So we're really going to love to dive into that. Why don't you just kind of uh, tell us, you know, tell us about Jeff Mac Designs a little bit of uh, what your company's about and kind of give us a little bit of that backstory. Yeah. So uh, I founded the company five years ago and I started, I was working out of my condo just doing AutoCAD design for metal signs. So we would I would program a sign that, that we would get laser cut and powder coated. Uh, we would do a lot of privacy screens for decks and fences and whatnot. And, and then, you know, trying to gather more clients and whatnot, I ended up building some custom steel table legs for a live edge table. So, you know, they became a regular customer. I was building live edge or sorry, I was building table legs for these live edge tables. I was posting the finished product to my Instagram and then people started asking, can you get me the whole table? So early on in business, even still, I have a hard time saying no, but I would never say no early on. I would say, yeah, no problem. Even if I had no idea what I was doing, I would figure it out. You know, yeah. we, <laughs> we have Google and we have YouTube and there's a lot of other makers like you guys where you can reach out, ask a question, get an answer and, and learn, right? So, you know, after four or five Live Edge tables made it onto my Instagram feed. And this was back when I had like, hundreds or like low thousands of followers, uh, I started getting inquiries for, for full tables. So at that point I was still doing the AutoCAD design in my, in my condo, just at an office set up in the den, I would outsource the tabletop and I would deliver the, the table as a Jeff Mac designs product. So that went on for about two years. So for a while it was, wow. I, did, I didn't have a shop. I, you know, it was kind of like you, you were, well, you had your own shop, but you were, working full time and doing other things. And so, yeah, when it, when it first started, I was outsourcing everything and just working out of my condo. And, uh, yeah, after about two and a half years, I ended up getting an order for 104 tables for a huge <laughs> festival. And I took the job on, I got the deposit and I didn't own a shop and I'd never built a table myself. Like I, had never used a jointer or a planer or a table saw. So <laughs> and you I, got a hundred. So, so how did you get that? How did you get that order? Like, how did that come through? Because I think that, you know, people are probably like, Oh, how, how do I get a order for 104 they, tables? Like, especially with outsourcing, how, how did that fall into place? So from an early stage, I would, I, well, early on, like back in late 2012, early 2013, I sort of realized the value of Instagram and I would spend a lot of time just, liking photos. So I would go on there and I would go to hashtag Toronto and I would like hundreds of photos as uh, like any spare time. If I'm, you know, waiting, waiting for a meeting or before I go to bed, when I wake up sitting on the cam, like it doesn't matter where you do it. Yeah. I would sit there and like comments and engage with people. And people like that because you're kind of giving back to the community and you're, you're engaging. So I had a lot of local clients or sorry, rather a lot of local people following me. And then word gets out when the feed looks nice and people see nice looking product. So this, this girl who was doing uh, all the design for this festival, uh, she called, called me up and said, Hey, we want 104 tables. It was 52 coffee tables, 52 end tables for a, a local festival. And uh, it was all these tables were for their artist lounge. So 
when the artists aren't on stage, they got to hang out somewhere. So this was what all these coffee tables and end tables were for. So that must've been a huge festival. My goodness. 50 for 52 (laughs) 52 tables and end tables. It was for live nation. So it's a big company that does Mm. a lot of, a lot of events. Um, so they reuse them every year. As far as I know, they're still using them. They use it for, uh, the two festivals are way home festival and boots and hearts, which you guys may not have heard of, but they're big up here. Boots and hearts is huge. I'm a, I'm a country music fan and they're always talking about it on the highway. So yeah, that's, that's awesome, dude. So they're still in circulation for that festival. Yeah. yeah. That's sweet. (laughs) So yeah, a lot of those country stars have sat at my tables and like Drake and you know, a bunch of people have done way home have sat at those tables and, um, so yeah, so I got the deposit check. I got scared at that point because I didn't have a shop. <laughs> the job was due in four months. So I had, okay. to, I had to find a shop, buy the machines and tools, learn how to use those machines and tools and build the tables and deliver them. And uh, during that time, I uh, my it was fiance or girlfriend at the time, uh, we sold our condo. We had to move out of out of our condo into her parents' house and then out of her parents' house into our house that we currently own. And we had our honeymoon and we got married all in those four months. <laughs> in those four months. So pretty, you know, pretty was, laid back four months. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's, you know, that's when you get resourceful. One, I had a mentor early on and, and he always said, you know, you got to be resiliently resourceful. So you just, you find a way, you know, you, you make some phone calls, you hire some friends to help. My mom and dad came down to help. Like you don't be afraid to ask. Cause if you don't ask, you're not going to get, you know? Oh, I love that, man. I love that. So when you, when you got the shop and then when you got the machinery, um, did you do all the work? I mean, you know, you just said you had some folks helping you out, but did, did you do all the machining and then so, like they helped out with sanding and finishing or, you know, how did that work? Yeah. So when I got the machines into the shop, they were sitting on a skid in the middle of the floor and I went to go plug them in and I had 120 and these machines were 240. So I learned that quickly because <laughs> I had no electrical background. And uh, so I hired an electrician, got him in, he wired them up. Then I hired a, a local woodworker, this guy that I've been kind of dealing with for a while to come in after he was done his day shift at another woodworking shop. So he would come in and uh, just teach me how to use the machines, kind of the basic, you know, jointer, planer, table saw, info that I needed. And, uh, so he came out for, I think it was like a couple nights a week for a few weeks. And then, uh, the rest was up to me. So when I left, so the 104 tables, they were due four days after I got back from my honeymoon. And when I left for my honeymoon, I only had 25 of them done. So when I got back, there was 75 to do, but I knew that I couldn't do that in, you know, three, four days. So I hired a couple other guys who I was friends with and, we actually shared a space. So they, while I was on my honeymoon, they were working on my tables and, you know, I paid them and it cut into the profits a little bit, but, uh, it had to be done and, and I got it done. And, you know, would I have made more money if I got them done myself? Yes. But, uh, you, sometimes you got to take a small hit to get a bigger gain down the road. Right. Right. But so were you profitable on that job? Oh yeah. A hundred percent. When, when I quoted that job, I you know, it was intimidating because I had never quoted a large job like that. And, uh, right. That's I what I was wondering. I didn't know how to approach it. So, and I didn't take business in school. I didn't take marketing. Like I have no business background. So I, uh, when I quoted that job, I, I thought if I can quote it and include six months rent, the cost of the machines, 
uh, then I'd be good. Like if that was included in the price and if I get it, then great. I'm covered for six months. That'll give me time to find another job and get some more work into the shop. And if I don't, then I'll cross that bridge when I get there. And luckily having that six months and, you know, the machines paid for, uh, you know, allowed me to, to get more customers and I've never really looked back. Dude, that's awesome. That's awesome. That's sweet. I mean, uh, so we've talked, we talked in a couple of our earlier episodes and this is kind of like my philosophy is on, um, on scaling your shop and like buying things based on customer inquiries and like trying to build certain tools into, uh, your, your pricing model, uh, early on, you know, if you want a biscuit joiner, you know, price it into a piece for somebody and, uh, yeah. and make sure that you're actually buying it. And that's, that's awesome to see that you, <laughs> you bought a whole wood shop on one PO, uh, but <laughs> that doesn't happen all the time, but no, I got lucky. no, I mean, well, those are the kind of orders that are absolutely life changing. And it's, what it's amazing to see is that it came from marketing yourself on social, um, yep. and, and then doing it properly, you know, showcasing your product, giving people a glimpse into what your business was about. Um, and then hammering the community aspect, we get tons of, we get tons of people just commenting on, you know, do they think that social media is valuable to brands that are selling things? And oh we're like, God. obviously we're huge advocates for, for especially Instagram. And uh, I think that's an amazing, amazing story. And, 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 and I guess example of how, you know, you just being active in the community can lead to something that can change your whole life. Listen, I, Last year, I haven't calculated all the numbers yet, but we did close to a million in sales and probably 95% of that, call it 90 to be conservative, was from Instagram. Yeah. Every, every email I get is, hey, I saw your work on Instagram. Uh, how much is a dining table? Blah, blah, blah. But in like large jobs too, you know, I, I landed a job with, uh, with a, major, a major NHL team, the Montreal Canadiens, where we did... Uh, about $250,000 worth of work in one of their restaurants. Well, the main restaurant that's at the arena. And that came from Instagram. You know, it's, wow. you don't know when you go out there and engage, you don't know who you're engaging with, which is sort of the beauty of it. You don't know who's got, you know, a father that owns something great or, you know, you don't know who they know. And it's, it's like a small scale. It's like a small way of networking big, you know? by just engaging, commenting, talking, responding to every single direct message. And when people leave a comment, I try to respond to, to most of them or all of them. And, uh, you know, you don't know who you're going to affect in a positive way where they're going to tell their friend or tell someone who, you know, does the buying for a large restaurant chain, or you never know who you're going to connect with. And at the end of the day, everyone has to eat off a table, right? So it's <laughs> every, potentially everyone's a customer. Yeah, I say that all the time. People are like, "How's business?" And I'm like, "Well, people still need something to eat on." Um, so, yeah. <laughs> so you know, I'm still selling, um, which which is which is a great way to look at it. Um, I think I think what's awesome about how you're using social more than um, you know what a lot of us use it for is is I guess just general general growth and and community and you really like hammer home your brand, um, identity, you know, with the, a ton of Walnut, a lot of live edge yeah. and, and, and metal based tables. Like that's what I've known you for, for the couple of years that I've been following you. And it's, yeah. uh, I think it's, I think it's an attestment to how well your business does because you're completely niched down, right? Your, your feed's clean. Yeah. Everything points in that direction instead of showing confusion, which like my feed shows a lot. Uh, <laughs> yours is like, you know, crystal clear on what you what you guys do. Having an identity is a is a big deal to me because I think the clients they respond to that well and they know when they land on my page they know what I do almost instantly and 
it provides a it's one less level of resistance for the end user who's ultimately going to fork out you know a couple thousand dollars or whatever for a dining table. They as soon as they land on the page, it's clear like this is where I, I can get a walnut dining table from. There's no question. They're not like, does he do that or doesn't he do that? They just know right away. And have, whether you make little wine racks or coasters or dining tables or you build houses, when people land on your page, it needs to be clear and evident as to what you do. And I think, you know, you can help with that in the bio and, and people need to know how to get a hold of you, you know, like having the email tabs and the call or the direction tabs on Instagram is, is huge because today's society, it's a very, I don't want to say lazy, but people aren't willing to dig very deep if they want to find your info. So if you, you got to lay it out there for them and it, it just takes away that one level of resistance. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Uh, when I know you do obviously do a lot of the, the live edge and the tables and that, um, when did you transition into doing, uh, more of the interior? Cause I know you do a lot of, uh, wall treatments as well. Right. And like live slab hanging doors, you know, yeah. those are always go over really well. Was, was that, um, part of that where someone just asked for it and you're like, yeah, we can do that. And it just turned into something. How did that work out for you? Yeah. It's, uh, that was one of those things where clients like, Hey, can you do this? And I don't say no. So the answer is yes. And, uh, and next thing you know, I'm trying to figure out how to hang a barn door, which I had never done before. And, but like I said, you got YouTube, you got Google, you got other makers. And you know, the first one we hung probably wasn't the best, but we learned from it. And then we hung another one and learned from that and hung another one. And, you know, we're getting better and better all the time. We still have lots to learn. There's, there's never ending learning with, uh, different applications, but yeah, then I can't remember how the first barn board wall kind of came to be, but uh, for a while there, we were doing them every single weekend and, and they were almost trending <laughs> in the GTA it's, or like the greater Toronto area. It seemed like everybody wanted that. And like, we still do them, but not as they're not as popular uh, that I've noticed anyways. Gotcha. Gotcha. What, what do you see? I mean, that's, what do you see in the trends in the market right now? Kind of where's it going? How's the live as the sales on the live edge uh, really continuing to grow or is it going a different um, way? It's tough to tell internally because our, our sales are always going up. It's not like we had like a flat line to base it off of, but um, right. yeah, we still sell a lot of live edge and we're, I would say we're getting more and more requests for dimensional square edge tabletops. So they're just, they're a little bit cleaner. I mean, if you have a modern looking house, sometimes the live edge doesn't fit in as well. Um, right. You know, I, I think live edge will always be around to a certain extent, but I think that it's going to slowly start to taper. And then the square edge dining tables, whether it's walnut or lighter species, will start to fill in some of those voids where live edge tables were being used. And uh, but yeah, a square edge table, I think it's just a bit more long term, you know, like it's in 10 years, you're still going to love that table where the live edge, you might not like it as much in in 10 years or 15 years. And, you know, we build our pieces to last. So we want the customer to have it forever. So, you know, we often ask the customer, what, where is it going? What does the room look like? What are your plans? Like, are you moving in five years? Like, we try to make it so that they have a piece that will last them forever. And it's not a short, like, I'm not about a short term dollar, you know, I want to make sure the customer buys the right product even if it's cheaper, you know, I don't care. I'm not going to try to upsell, upsell, upsell. You know, it's, I want, I want the customer to get what's right for them. Even if I make less money, like that money will come down the road. It's get, get what's best for the customer in their house. 
Yeah, I think I think Brad and I have been noticing a lot is uh, the trends in modern design are all all on the upwards. So, um, you know, I've I've been getting the same thing too. Is a lot more of the inquiries I'm getting are based in uh, in a traditional modern stylings and that kind of contemporary look, uh, which is cool because I think it it lets you use like the skills you gain from working live edge and you can apply it kind of to. Um, a modern design, like I did this modern dining table a month or so ago, but I just, uh, I book matched two slabs in the center and then I just squared all the edges and yep. it still had the same concept as, you know, a massive live edge table, but it looked much more modern because it didn't have the actual edge treatment. And I left a little sapwood in there, really beautiful yep. piece. And I loved it. And I've gotten a bunch of inquiries for something similar since. Um, so I think it's cool to take your your kind of brand image and in, in, in your niche and adapt it to what the market's asking one, but two, still use the same skill sets. Cause I think a lot of people yep. that are selling products fall into where, you know, if something's made of wood, yes, I can make it. And then they'll just take whatever they're doing and jump into this other thing that might have a learning curve that takes forever. For instance, you know, I get a lot of inquiries for chairs. Well, I don't build chairs and it's not that I can't build a chair, but I'm just not set up to build a chair. And, uh, and, that, and that takes a while. And, you know, you watch people jump into these projects where it's like, you know, someone wants you to buy 20 chairs, just a good chunk of change if you're priced right. Um, but you're going to take so long to do it because um, you're not set up for it if you're just pumping out, you know, a flat top and metal based tables. So I think for it's sure. interesting to see how you're able to adapt to market trends in design, but not completely sell out on what you're doing. Cause, cause I mean, your, your moneymaker is tables all day long. Right. Yep. And yep. they got to stick to your staple and then adapt like, you know, the design kind of thing. I think it's interesting. Um, I think it's an interesting concept. I also really dig, you know, how you've just consistently kept that with your, with your brand. A lot of people will, uh, try to do a lot of stuff. There's a huge business in Pittsburgh that does beautiful live edge tables, but they'll do, they do doors, they do chairs, they do all kinds of stuff. And I go to their shop and it's, it's big and you're just like, yeah. wow, I can't believe this is sustainable because you have a, you know, 40 foot, <laughs> 40 foot conference table made of a live edge slab over here. And then you got a guy that's, you know, hand, hand carving chair base bases in the, in the other side. Um, and, and it's super impressive that they're able to make that work. So I'm watching, yeah, I, I'd love you to touch a little bit on like how you got to that, you know, that point where you knew your, um, your kind of your pumpkin plan or your, or your niche down, uh, brand concept was going to be with these live edge tables and metal bases. Cause I think it's fascinating to see something so simple do so well. Yeah. I mean, when I first got that shop, we built the, the 104 tables and then we started getting orders for, for more tables and, uh, they, it just kind of steamrolled from there. I mean, when I first started the business, it wasn't my intention to be like, I'm going to be the live edge table guy or I'm going to be the table guy. It started out doing custom metal work, which has transitioned, obviously. So there was no real game plan for it. I kind of adapted. And once I saw the the niche and I saw that there was a lot of potential there and I, and most importantly, I just, I love to build those tables. You know, it was, mm -hmm. it was a lot of fun to actually build them. It was way more exciting than doing AutoCAD out of my condo. So I think that alone really helped shape it. Um, yeah, I mean, there, there was no real, I never had a game plan. Um, I just kind of flew by the seat of my pants and figured it out as I went along. And, uh, it's, yeah, I never had a business plan. I, I didn't take business in school. So I, I kind of just did what I had to do and it turned out to be tables, which I enjoyed and it just escalated from there. 
So how did I, I mean, I love that story, Jeff, because I think that's what a lot of people do is they kind of, uh, you know, they take what's given to them because that's right. And you can, that's all you can do because you can try to do some things, but then if somebody asks you to build something else, but you want to build, uh, you know, you want to build chairs and they want you to build a table. Well, if you got to pay your rent, then you got to, you know, you got to build a table. Uh, so, so doing that, when you, when you started doing that, how did you see, you know, before you look, kind of back up, because most of our, our listeners are, are building their social media presence. They're, they're kind of in that early stage. And I, and I think, you know, you saying that you were in there 2012, 2013 was about the same time I started 2013. Uh, obviously on a completely different side of it. But uh, I think you have an advantage because you were uh, not as many people out there, right? The woodworking sure. community was pretty tight back then, I remember. And uh, when you were first growing and when you were even small on on Instagram, you know, what kind of advertising and efforts did you do? Or did you, uh, you know, before Instagram started taking hold and, and you know, you're almost 300,000 followers now, but obviously back in the day when you weren't, uh, what else did you do outside of Instagram to help you grow and 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 uh, do word of mouth? Because obviously you're very customer focused. Yeah. Um, was it just treating your customers really well and word of mouth or how did that work out? So, yeah, like early on when Instagram was still small for me and I wasn't generating the clientele I am today with it, I would uh, I would just find local interior designers. And I, I remember back in the condo days, I would... Uh, I'd, I'd map out a route that I would go drive the next morning and I would go talk to the interior designers face to face and I'd have a business card and a sample and I'd go in there. I was, I was like 23, maybe 24 at the time. And, and I would just go and I would visit maybe 10 or 12 interior designers. I'd go not walk in there, knock on their door. Hi, my name is Jeff Mack with Jeff Mack Designs. We do custom metal and wood. You know, here's a, here's a bit of our portfolio. You can see it online and uh, here's a few samples. And most of the time they're like, Oh, that's great. Like, thank you. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> and, and then the odd one would be like, Oh, I have a table coming up and, and, uh, I would get the job because I was there. I showed face. I wasn't afraid to pick up the phone or send an email or, or basically just go out and hustle. So the early days, it would be, you know, five days a week, all well, Monday to Friday, I would hop in the truck and, and make my rounds around, uh, Toronto and, and Mississauga and, sort of the greater Toronto area and, and just show face and it just kind of grind it out and try to land those customers one by one. And like I said, a lot of them said no, but getting no's is a good thing. You know, it kind of builds up a thick skin and you, you don't go in there expecting a yes from everybody. And then when you do get a yes, it's that much sweeter. So I, I never paid for advertising. I never did Google ads or paid Instagram or Facebook ads. I I've never spent a dime on advertising uh, which has been a key to, you know, success and having money for other tools or, or whatever you want to spend it on. So yeah, just not being afraid to pick up the phone and call people or like show up at their door and be like, Hey, I'm so-and-so and this is what I do. Like if they're not interested, they're not interested, but you can't get a yes if you don't ask. Yeah, love that hustle, man. That is, that is awesome. I, and I think that's where the biggest downfall and John and I've talked about it on the podcast, right? Is that uh, you know, if you want anything, whatever it is, it's like you got to do it and you got to make it happen. And 
by making that trip, you know, every day and every week. And as they add up, you just keep adding those folks and nobody else uh, is is doing that. Exactly. Or very few people are doing that. And it's that differentiation point, man. I, I absolutely love that. I just think that's a, a brilliant thing for any business. What, what you're doing is like looking for the opportunities and going out and going the extra mile that the other people aren't. Um, that, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, the whole, the whole concept of face-to-face, I think, gets washed away nowadays with so much technology behind everything when it's still super valuable to shake a hand, to walk into somebody's yep. door, introduce yourself. Um, yeah, that's an awesome little – that's an awesome tactic. I got to do that. And, <laughs> and you know what? If, if the phone stopped ringing and I stopped getting emails tomorrow, I would be in my truck driving around tomorrow going door-to-door, man. I would, I would hustle. <laughs> like, I, I got bills to pay, you know? I would – you find a way and – don't be afraid to get a no because you'll get 10 no's and you get one yes and you'll get an order for 104 tables. Yeah. But if you don't ask those first 10 people, like that 11th one doesn't come along. You know, if you're staying in your office and not a, not going to get out there, then the rewards aren't going to come. Yeah, that's awesome. I love it. I just think that there's so much value in seeing how large your business is. I mean, doing a million in revenue, that's so, that's so applicable to somebody that's doing, you know, 10 grand. Like if if you're hustling on the side and you want to, and you want to make more money, get out there on foot, you know, walk in a couple hobby shops and see if you can play some products or go shake some hands with some designers and people and contractors, anybody that could ever use custom work, like get your face out there. Just Um, network. And I was, I mean, I'm in a kind of similar situation. It was super fortunate coming out of uh, football and stuff that I had a decent network of people that I was able to you know, talk to, and I had a kind of a little bit of a name. And so I'd get phone calls for the same thing. It's like, Hey, I'm looking for, you know, I'm looking for this, you know, do you, do you know anyone or can you help me? And I'd be able to just do it myself or point them yeah. in the right direction. And, and now as things continue to progress, it's, it's, it's the same thing, you know, relationships are much more important than, um, growing a following for the sake of numbers. You know, people can still relate to the actual Jeff Mack at Jeff Mack designs compared to, you know, where you think sometimes things get so big, you don't ever get to talk to the owner or the guy that's doing, you know, um, a lot of the behind the scenes work where you're still shaking hands and making phone calls yeah. and out there and out there hustling. I think it's hugely valuable tip there um, for a lot of our audience. I think it's, I think it's interesting because we were this week's uh, last week's episode, you know, we were getting a lot of our, uh, a lot of our followers were, were struggling on social and struggling on Instagram. And Brad and I kind of, you know, laid it out there for our patrons in the after shows. Like, Man, you got to just get back to the grind. Like if you're, if yeah. things are hard, you know, put your hand in the dirt. It's kind of my motto and, and go chop wood. Like, you know, get in there and, and start, uh, start networking harder. And, and I think it applies to both the physical and the digital space. And yeah. And the digital. Cause it, like what you said, Jeff, I think like if, if you make those connections through your conversation already is just like, you know, in your spare time, you were just out there liking photos and just interact. Like that's the same thing. That's digitally showing up on somebody's door, right? Exactly. That's digitally like going out there. And so exactly what John was saying is what we're, you know, giving that advice is people ask, well, how come I'm not growing on social media? I don't know how, like how much time have you spent on social media? Well, I, you know, I post a couple times a week and it's like, well, that's not why enough. you're not growing. <laughs> that's why <laughs> you know it's not, it's not about you posting. It's about you going to other people and engaging yeah. and interacting. And I love just that. That's just such an awesome connection to hear that. Uh, it, Cause it's the digital space. It's the physical space. Uh, you know, we talk about it all the time. It, it's all about relationships and it's about building those relationships and connections and community. And that's, that's awesome. Um, you know, hearing that and hearing how successful you've been, um, you know, doing that. 
when when you look at like the business side and not you know not having an education in it and experience um how, how'd you fare, man? Like, did you get a bookkeeper? Like, you know, as, as you're sitting here and you start getting all this money coming in, like, how, how did you manage it? And how did you educate yourself to make sure that you're doing right by your business? So I was lucky because uh, my mom was an accountant. So oh, nice. <laughs> she she does my books. She still does. She's retired. So, you know, not that my books are a full time job yet, but uh, she she takes care of all my books, which I was super lucky for. And obviously, I I don't have to pay for that because it's it's my mom that's doing it. <laughs> but um, there you go. But yeah, so I got lucky there. And but in terms of me knowing how to run the numbers and like I don't know, I'm I'm good at math, but I'm not good at finance. Like I can't do a spreadsheet that says here's my costs, here's my expenses, and this is what each employee costs, and this is what my rent. Like I've never done a spreadsheet like that. I it I probably should at this point because <laughs> it would probably be valuable, but um. I just, I look at the raw numbers, like this is what it costs me to make a table and this is how much I can sell it for. How many tables do I have to do, you know, a month to cover my bills? And then do I need to do anything extra to help pay the bills or, you know, and it, it just kind of grew from there. It was very basic math that I ran to see if I could afford what I was doing and to justify new shop space. And at the end of the day, even if, even if I messed up one of those calculations or I, you know, I, I thought I couldn't pay the rent next month. I know deep down that I would find a way to make it happen. Like I never took a loan with the company. I never borrowed money. I, I started the company with $3,500 and I've obviously since paid that back to myself. And, uh, so I built like everything that I've got now, I've got four full-time employees, one, well, yeah, four full-time employees, 4,000 square foot shop. All my inventory is paid for. All my machines are paid for. All my tools are paid for. I've, zero debt. And like, it started with 3,500 bucks five years ago, which, you know, five years ago, isn't a long, long time, but I worked from 7am to 11pm for the first four years, seven days a week. Like I didn't see my, my wife, I, I was MIA, like I was working. And a lot of people think that I'm lucky for what I have now, but it, I put my nose down and I just went, you know? Yeah, that's, and I think that's, um, you know, as as much as people want to grow it, and, and that's something that we you know hear over and over when you talk to people about how they grew their business. That it's, you know, it's typically like a two to three, two to four year process before you before you make it. And those two to four years um, are not fun, right? For no. your personal life. No. <laughs> I didn't have one. I literally had zero personal life. But at the end of the day, I loved what I was doing. Like I love when I wake up in the morning. I set my alarm at six. I'm normally in the car by six fifteen, and I can't wait to get to work. Like whether it's doing emails or just deal, like talking with clients or working with my employees now. Like I just love what I do, so that helps a lot. So if you're doing what you love, it won't feel like work, and those four years will be a little easier. You know, it's still a lot of work, but they'll be better years. Right, right. No, I love that that takeaway because. Uh, I think when people sometimes as well is that what happens is when that success is not immediate, 
is when people start getting down the dumps and they're like, man, you know, why am I doing this? And, and they lose the direction. You kind of lose your guiding star uh, yeah. and that, you know, grounding yourself back in that and making sure it's something that you're committed to and that you love that it's going to help that. Right. And so I'm sure there were days and weeks and months where you were like, this is horrible. Uh, oh, but, you know, you 100%. go through it. hundred <laughs> percent. But you know what? There's well, Gary Vaynerchuk. I'm sure you guys both know who he is. Yeah. He uh, one of his mottos or sayings is uh micro speed, macro patience. So you need to have patience long term, but you need to work very fast. So like, you know, if, if you could do 50 small tasks in a day, like don't expect to get rewarded for those today. But if you do that every day for six months, the rewards will start to roll in, you know, like you got to have micro speed, you got to keep making moves and don't be afraid to make a move and don't overanalyze things. Go with your gut a lot. And, uh, but you got to make moves. You can't, ponder about things. You can't sit there and wait for things to happen because if you're not going to make it happen, it's not going to happen. And if whether that move is getting on the phone and calling an interior designer or getting in the car and going to a cabinet shop, be like, hey, does anybody ever ask for live edge tables? You know, oh yeah, I had a guy in last week. And you know, if you don't go there and make that contact, there you're not going to get business from them. And uh yeah, it's just I, I see business as like a lot of smaller tasks that make up the big ones. So if you could break it down into a whole bunch of small ones, just go out there and get all those small tasks done and the bigger picture will all kind of fall together. But don't get caught up on, oh, that's too hard or it's too much work or just do it. By the time you're done, you're going to be like, that was easy, you know? Yeah, I think uh, I think kind of where you're leaning to is is like a not having a real fear fear of failure. You know, it's a uh, it's a concept that you know just getting getting started is so difficult for so many people, or getting that first you know uh, first thing rolling. Um, yep. it seems to be the most difficult part for a lot of people, especially when it comes to like everything from, you know, chasing your dreams or starting a business or whatever it might be like, you know, five years ago, if you would have, um, if you would have failed on that, you know, massive table order that you got, you know, you, you wouldn't have died. Like your world wouldn't have been over. You'd have picked up, no. you'd have picked up and continued with whatever you had next to go. Um, and I think, yeah. I'm thinking that, 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 that applies to a lot of things in life. You know, I'm, I'm very similar um, I look at my sports career as kind of a failure for myself and my, where I wanted to be and what I wanted to do. Um, obviously, there was a lot of success in that from a lot of other people's standpoint. But for me, it's like, you know, I wanted to I wanted to be the Hall of Famer. Like I wanted to start yeah. 10 years in the league. Like I, that was my goal and what I wanted to do. But I didn't get there. Um, well, I have nothing. Everything didn't end. You know, life's not over. No. Um, and I think that you know, kind of getting over that concept of, of failure and, and, and the fear of it is exactly what you were just touching on. If there's, you know, task at hand or something seems difficult, just, you know, put your, you know, put your head down and, and get to work Go do it. and the work will take care of uh, the difficulty of the task. So um, if you fail, you'll, you're going to learn something from it. Like with, with all my employees and pretty much everything I try to do, like mistakes aren't a bad thing as long as you learn from it. You know, like we make mistakes every day, but we sit there, we teamwork and we figure out how that mistake, like what made that mistake happen? How do we fix it? And don't do it again, you know? And, uh, failures are like little mistakes, but if you go in and pitch to an interior designer, you're like, Hey, we make tables and they say, Oh, we don't want your tables. Figure out why they said no. Do they, is it cause your portfolio sucks? Is it because you're not, uh, not good at sales or figure out what went wrong and, and make it better, like work on that and then go to 10 more and, and pitch to them. And, you, you can only learn from your mistakes. Like the worst case scenario is not as bad as a lot of people envision it. People picture mm -hmm. like losing their homes and their car and their family. Like that's not the worst case scenario. Like you might lose a couple thousand bucks or, 
or whatever the case is, you might lose a customer. But if that's the worst case scenario and you learn a life lesson from it, then I would consider that a success at the end of the day. In the big picture, that's still a success. Yeah, you pivot and you find a way to win or you find a way to conquer that, yeah. that the difficulty. And then your, you know, your character is built on that. And you actually could build the foundation of something else. There's so many great success stories that start out with failure or start out oh, with di- difficulty. I think that's uh it's just you know, just getting over that hump on on uh, why something might not work compared to thinking about it positively. Uh, I'm very similar in that, you know, I wake up uh, looking forward to going to work every day. I quite enjoy what I do. I love um, a lot of the parts of it. There's, there's, there's tons of stuff that I definitely dislike and, and that I'm, but those oh, are, those are the things you work your way into finding a way to either outsource them or find a way to or hire someone. Yes. To hire someone and, and yep. build a quality team. Um, and, and that's kind of, uh, you know, how I look at life. And I think a lot of people have that like little bit of a hump to get over where you're just got to do it. And, uh, you touched on that briefly and I think it's brilliant that you were just like, you know, whatever, if I fail, I fail, but I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to get this task done or this job done. And I'm gonna put my head down, go to yeah. work and it'll take care of itself. Um, you know, Brad and I become, we run into that with this podcast a ton because there's a lot to do behind the scenes when it comes to it. And, you know, we constantly feel like we're not getting a lot done, but then we'll just find an hour or two where we crank out a bunch of stuff and it feels great. And we're like, Oh, that wasn't that bad. <laughs> like, you know, but, yeah. but looking at it in the, in the, in the forefront, you're like, Oh, there's so much to get done. Um, yeah. and, and then but once you break it down, it's not that much and it's not that hard. So I was, yeah, I was just, I was just talking about it. I think last week on, or two weeks ago, I just finished up Ray Dalio's book. He's got the largest hedge fund in the world at principles. Yeah. And he talks about, you know, task management and, uh, and CEO style thinking when it comes to managing a business and, and how, you know, uh, upper level thinking does require a lot of task management, but you have to keep that macro, that big picture focus in mind, um, and realize that you're working towards a goal. You're not just monotonously getting things done to get them done. Um, and they're all going yeah. in a direction. Uh, you know, I, I know for yourself, you know, you, you're what, five years into your business, um, yeah. crushing it doing great in multiple places. And, uh, you know, where do you see the business going in the next couple of years? You do, do you want to continue to scale? Or are you going to branch off into doing, you know, uh, some designs for wholesale or retail kind of thing, or you know, what's in the, what's um, in the pipe? You know what? I, I don't look too far into the future, but I definitely don't see wholesale. So after I've figured out that I, well, I don't think my company's cut out for doing wholesale because, one typically wholesale brings an audience that's like if you're a costco you have an audience you have people shopping there and people want to get in there but the audience isn't the challenge for me so that's where i kind of cut wholesale off like i don't need wholesale to sell product i can sell product on my own Mm -hmm. so wholesale is definitely out of the question um because i could sell direct to customer and have better margins um yep (laughs) but in terms of uh and like you know, when there's a lot of physical labor involved, it's tough to wholesale. Like I don't, there's no table making machine that I could plug in back there and, you oh, know, yeah. just make hundreds of tables. If, if there was, then wholesale would be an option, but it's not like that. Yeah. So yeah, wholesale is out of the question hundred percent. And I think for a lot of the other people in my shoes, they should not look in like at the beginning, I looked into wholesale and after doing lots of research and running the numbers, it just didn't make sense. So if I was in my shoes or if somebody else is in my shoes, I would tell them not even to bother, but that's, you know, something else, another topic. Um, but yeah, in terms of the future, I, I think I'd like to, you know, just do more tables and, and maybe expand our product line a little bit in terms of maybe doing some more, you know, barn doors and whatnot and 
you know, maybe experiment with some different materials. Uh, we are trying to get into a little bit more uh, retail within our shop. So just this past Saturday, we, we've only been open like three Saturdays, open to the public where people can come in and buy slabs. So uh, we're going to try to go a little bit more down that road because oftentimes our shop is at its full capacity, but our stock room where we keep all the slabs sits there and it's not wasted space because we have material for projects. But if clients or DIYers want to come in and pick out a slab, uh, we're more than happy to, to sell it to them. And uh, they can come in, look at some slabs and look at different materials and buy them through us. So that's going to be a little bit of a, a pivot, well, not so much a pivot, but just an add-on service that we're going to offer. What what got you to the point? Because I'm always um I'm always floating with the whole concept of holding inventory and reselling compared to just doing one-off custom items. Because uh, I'm I mean, we're very similar model wise. You're just scaled a yep. lot a lot bigger. But the um you know I, I typically um don't hold inventory on anything that I don't have to because it takes up shop space. One and two, yep. uh, you're you know you're depreciating um value on the inventory you're holding the longer it sits in in that space. So I tend to just order materials per job. Now I know you carry, you know, you got a couple hundred slabs in the shop um, on yeah. a daily basis. What got you to that point where you were like, I need to hold inventory compared to, I need to stop ordering daily. You know, when I get a PO in our, in our old shop, I, uh, I had a room where I kept the slabs and it was only the slabs for the projects that I had kind of in the, the queue. And, uh, and then a client would come in and be like, Oh, if I wanted to buy this, like, could I just, buy this straight up. And I was like, um, well, not this one, but you know, you could buy that one. And, and then I started selling the odd slab to the clients and I realized there was demand for it. And then when I would go to buy Walnut, I would buy enough for my project or like the projects that we had in the queue, plus an additional, you know, 50 to hundred percent more that we would, we knew that we would use it eventually. Or if the client comes in and they want to buy the stuff, take it home and do the work themselves then that would become an option. So it just sort of escalated from there. It started, I had a couple extra slabs, like I got a good deal on some. So I bought the whole lot instead of just buying the one that I needed. And then uh, it, yeah, it just escalated from there. And I noticed if you have stuff in stock, people are very, it's a very instant world. So if somebody comes in and they're like, I want a walnut slab. And I'm like, great, I can order one and get it here in three weeks. That's, right. <laughs> that's not a solution for the client. Like they leave there and they're never, they're not going to buy the slab. But if they can come in, pick one out, take it home with them that day. They love it. You know, like we probably sold, I'm thinking 40 or 50 slabs on Saturday and uh, well, a lot of small stuff, like little DIY, like coffee table size stuff, but clients love that they could come in, pick one out, pay for it, take it home. And I bet you half of those pieces are already finished or like half worked on because they had it instantly. And it wasn't, you know, a three week lead time just to get a piece of material. And so yeah, the, the convenience factor for the client is what led me down that road. And uh, yeah, we just we want to be convenient for all our customers, you know, whether we're building the table or they're going to build it. We just want to provide that convenience factor. So we stock table legs as well. We also stock uh, some dimensional lumber. We're getting a little bit more into that. And we also try to stock barn board at all times. So, you know, if a contractor comes in and buys barn board last week, does a project and then another client wants it, he knows he can swing by. It's ready to go he picks it up and he could work on it that day. Yeah. Jeff, so, how, how did you, I mean, I, I, again, just hear, hearing you talk about, you know, you're basically just responding to what the demand is, which is, which is what you have to do as a business. And, and as you, you know, when did that um, 
transition take place as far as so you're, you're not necessarily retail, right? I mean, they're, they're just coming to your shop and you're saying, hey, the shop is open. So you don't have a retail space. I mean, no, this is this no. is like the working shop where they're coming in and buying all this stuff from. Is that right? Uh, yeah, it's we have our shop, which is about a 2000 square foot space. And then we have a thousand square foot space where we keep all the slabs. So the clients aren't going per se into the shop shop, but they're in the sort of warehouse area. Gotcha. And uh, yeah, we're not really set up for retail. Like we don't have a debit and credit machine. Like we we have Square, but not like a proper, excuse me, debit and credit machine. We don't even have a sign out front. So like, you know, all the cars that drive by have no idea that we're even here. Um, the The goal though is to move more into that. Gotcha. Yeah. So your your word of mouth again, as you said, and so as people know, or they're coming by and they know, hey, because they've seen you on Instagram, then they is that basically you know you talked about a lot of your business coming from Instagram is yeah somebody will DM you and you say hey you know can I grab a slab and you say hey yeah sure come over at two o'clock yeah. on Friday and we'll get you one is that kind of how yeah. that's going down yeah normally like we're our kind of hours here are 8 a.m till 6 p.m that's when there's always somebody here and uh so we just tell people to come in between those hours and uh and yeah word of mouth kind of leads to more and just instagram is obviously a big help and that's sort of how we're building it right now i mean eventually i it sounds weird but i almost want to advertise <laughs> it i think it would be fun it's i like marketing and advertising the concept of it. So I think it would be fun when I actually do get to advertise. And, but for now, I mean, we're just trying to keep up with the demand, but hopefully we can build our infrastructure to the point where there's more supply than demand. And then we can actually advertise and get more demand. Yeah. Yeah. That's a whole nother world that John and I are uh, walking through, uh, you know, the online digital advertising and, and it's just yeah. so powerful uh, that especially for, you know, for somebody like you, who you could say, you know, you could basically put a net around Toronto and say, okay, like I'm going to, I'm going to hone in on these people and I'm, I want people who are into, you know, contemporary design or whatever. And, and you can set all the different, uh, demographic and interests yeah. and, and all those different things. Um, and, you know, advertise straight to those people. And, and, you know, we we've been pushing that and saying how powerful it is. Uh, but you know, we've not yet got there ourselves either, but we know that there's just so much untapped resource oh, because you can be so yeah. pinpoint with it versus just, you know, putting a sign out front. Right. And, and the exactly. traffic there is like, you know, you don't know who's driving by your place and even yeah. you know, you're missing so many opportunities. Yeah. No, I think the traditional marketing of, you know, putting an ad in a newspaper or, a, you know, buying a billboard or, or whatnot, or even like TV and radio ad, I think it's all dying. And, you know, like if somebody's at a restaurant and like their partner goes to the washroom, they go on their phone. If you're driving down the road and you're in the passenger seat, you're not looking at the billboard, you're looking at your phone. So I think advertising through Facebook, Instagram and, and Google and a few other avenues are where you need to be. Cause that's where people's eyes are. They're not, you know, you're not looking at the billboard when the commercial comes on on TV or do you watch it or do you go to your phone? Right. You know, it's uh, I, I think there's so much potential with advertising through Facebook and Instagram. And and I mean, I own part of another company called Keyway Designs and they do uh, wood and leather cell phone cases. And 100 percent of their business is through Instagram advertising. So, wow, they they advertise <laughs> they advertise through Instagram and they have their target market. They they spend a lot of money on advertising, but you know, the ROI is there to, uh, to reap the rewards and they don't advertise anywhere else. They, they do a little bit of wholesale, but direct the customer is, you know, obviously the best way to go. And 
all of their business comes, well, 99% of their business comes through Instagram and Instagram ads. And uh, it's, it's crazy. Yeah, I think it's awesome. I mean, you, you see so many people winning doing that. And like Brad said, we're, we're walking through it right now um, for here for made for profit. I've done a little bit of advertising on my personal brand um, on Instagram, <clears throat> sold, you know, cutting boards, hand goods, stuff, little stuff like that. Um, it's yeah. a good way to, to, to if, if your stuff's shippable um, to definitely get some eyeballs on it uh, that are intent sure. buyers, intent intentional buyers instead of just trying to grow an audience um you know sticking with the the instagram thing here i think uh as we you know we kind of hammered home on on your uh how you're making money you know how the business is winning all in the physical space but like dude you've been like exploding on ig for the past year and a half now you know brad and i are constantly looking at how other accounts are winning um we shouted you yourself uh canadian woodworks and black forest out you know a couple weeks ago on the show because you three just seem to be like in this pocket of uh (laughs) canadian business accounts that are just soaring and uh (laughs) and um you know why, why don't you give the people a little bit of some tactical stuff like if you were to help out somebody who's who's starting their um starting their business journey and they wanted to be winning on on Instagram. Like, why don't you throw our audience a little bit of uh, some, some tactical stuff from a different perspective since Brad and I have already laid it down, but you, you're winning in For a sure. different way. For sure. No, it's a, uh, to touch on the Canadian aspect. I don't, I don't understand why all these Canadian accounts are killing it. Like there's no secret sauce up here that, <laughs> we somehow found, maybe it's maple syrup. I don't know. Yeah. But, uh, it's, <laughs> uh, it's maple syrup and hockey. Yeah. yeah, there we go. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's ironic how that works out. But anyways, um, yeah, so one of, well, I'll touch on a bunch of things, but one of the main things is consistency. So on two aspects, consistency in your feed. So there needs to be like a trend or a, a certain look to your page. You know, you don't want to be posting pictures of your dog and then a wood table and then, you know, your car and then a picture of your kid, like you got to have a focus on there. When people land there, they got to know why they're there. So they hit that follow button. So having clarity when people first land on the page, which I know you guys have mentioned in previous podcasts, one of the first ones, I think. Uh, So yeah, having a focus on your page is big. And then the consistency and posting. So I try to post two to three times a day and I'm Eastern standard time. So I try to post at 8am and 5pm. And then if I have a third post during the day, I try to fit that in right around noon. Um, that seems to be when a lot of people are on Instagram. I mean, different different regions and different countries and different parts of the world, that's going to vary a little bit. But if you have a business page set up, it'll give you the insights as to when people are on. And uh, you can do a little bit of research to figure out the opportune times to post. You know, you're not going to post at 2 a.m. Uh, nobody's on, right? So the consistency, two to three times a day, if you can provide enough content that's, you know, appealing. You don't just want to have filler, which sometimes it happens. You do a post that you're not entirely sold on and uh, you think it's filler. And then sometimes those perform really well. Um, so yeah, that's, that's one of the main points. Another one would be having a call to action. So a CTA, a lot of people call it. You're going to want to uh, have some sort of verbiage or words in there that is going to lead to a lot of comments. So right. if you guys, if you guys see on my post, I try to always have a question in there and create conversation. And when you ask the question, it can't just be any old question. It's got to be a question where it's an easy, it's easy for the follower to answer. 
So you don't want to make it where they need to put in like two hours of thought because they're not going to go put two hours of thought into it and then come back and enter their answer or their idea. You got to make it where it's a simple like yes or no, or I love it, or what do you think of this? Or, you know, use one word to describe this. Like what's the first word that comes to your mind? Uh, you want to generate comments that are easy to form. So think about how, you know, come up with your question and then think what is, what do the answer, what are the answers going to look like? Is it going to take them a year to figure out their answer? No, you got to make it on the fly. So easy call to action questions is a big one to generate more comments because the algorithm really values comments. Um, another aspect is just bringing value to the followers. So I try to be as transparent as I can be in terms of a, like an influencer or whatever you want to call it, where, you know, if I'm not afraid to share my tips, like, I learned all my stuff on Google and YouTube and from a few other people, but it's all out there already. Like, why not be the one to share it? Why not be the one so that people know they can go to you as a source? Right. Um, you know, if you, if you have, I'm sure you guys have noticed it with some of your videos and pictures. If you give them value, if you give them some know-how or a little insider secret, if you want to call it, people love that. People eat that up and they, if they feel like they're, getting special treatment, if you will, because you're giving them that extra bit of info that most people don't share, they're going to come back for more and they're going to like, they're going to comment, they're going to engage, they're going to tell their friend, they're going to, they're going to be a fan, you know? Yeah. We thought it was so good, Jeff. We made a podcast about it. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. It's true. Um, And then another thing is just engage. So if somebody leaves you a comment, especially the thoughtful comments. And I know you guys have mentioned this before as well is respond to it. Say, Hey, thanks so much for the insight. I appreciate the follow and uh, cheers. Or, you know, it doesn't, you don't have to put a ton of thought into it. Just acknowledge them. Even if you just like it, you know, if it's a cool comment, just like it, that's all it takes. And then they'll get a notification. They're like, Oh, he noticed me, you know? Yeah. So engaging back um, lately, I've been, I've been getting a ton of direct messages and, I I track my analytics fairly close. And from what I've noticed lately is I've been getting a ton of direct messages and I've been really diligent on responding to them in a timely manner. And part of me thinks that the Instagram algorithm uh, treats that as like almost like good behavior on my behalf. So then they put my stuff in front of more eyes. So just being like, just being like a good Samaritan on Instagram, (laughs) responding to the DMS in a timely manner, commenting back, commenting on other people's stuff, liking other photos, engaging, like that's all rewarded through the algorithm in one way or another. Yeah. And And we've we've been seeing that. Yeah. I I totally agree. John and I were actually just talking about that uh, last week where, um, you know, talking about just the engagement and how it, it appears that, um, you know, the more active you are, and it's just almost like anything, right? They want more people on their their account. So the more active you are, yeah. the, that means that you're engaging other people to come back to the account. And so, you know, it's almost like you said, you know, you get credit similar to like YouTube when you're on YouTube and yep. you comment and you respond to comments and people come back to your video that if you're pulling people back to the platform, then they're going to say, oh, yeah, Jeff Mack, whenever Jeff Mack, when somebody comments on his, he always comments back and then they come back and open their app back up. And yep. once they open their app back up, they spend five more minutes after they've re- yep. seen what he said. And so, yeah, that that's, you know, when, when you start thinking about all these social medias and we've talked about it, that any of these platforms, their end goal is to get as many 
eyeball minutes on their product yep. as they can so they can serve more ads. That's the bottom line of it for them from a business perspective. And exactly. so, you know, whatever you're doing that's engaging and bringing people to that platform and keeping them on that platform is always going to be good. Uh, yeah, you know, get rewarded for you. Exactly. And, you know, and it's, it's just it's cool because it's, you know, you build the community. So I think it's it's really cool. And like, aside from the Instagram algorithm, it's great for business. You know, if somebody knows they can ask me a question and I respond, I try to respond within a few hours, but obviously I live my life still and I have a family at home and all that. So I don't get to all of them in that time span, but I still try to respond, you know, same day or next day. Or if it's something that I need to put a little bit more thought in, it might be a few days later, but I respond to virtually every DM. If it's written in English, some of them I don't understand, (laughs) which I'm sure you guys have gotten a few of those, (laughs) but, um, yeah, it's just a matter of engaging. And another thing I want to touch on is, uh, you know, when you go out to like and engage, you know, don't just comment on anything. Maybe find, uh, I do this all the time actually, is I find the local kind of hotspot, the local restaurant that, you know, the higher end clientele go to and I'll go to their hashtag or their geo location and I'll like all the photos and I'll comment on some of them. And, you know, that's the, that's my type of clientele. That's who comes in here and buys tables. So why not go like their, their picture? If they land on my page and they like it and they follow great. If they buy a table, even better. If they leave, at least I tried. At least I like passively reached out to them. That is an awesome, awesome hack, Jeff. Uh, <laughs> I, I think like, right. Because if you're it, because two things, right. It, one, if that, if that high end restaurant needs a table, they're going to come to you. But also, like you yeah. said, the people who are following that account are the clientele that go there who also like the interior of that place that's, you know, probably going to have, you know, nice wooden tables and things. Yeah. And so not only are you engaging with that account, but you're seeing the other people's comments and then they're seeing your comments and they're just seeing, even if they just see your name, right? So yep. when you're, when you're scrolling through comments, you just, and they just, and they go, who is this Jeff Mac designs? Like yeah. I, I always see him on there. Um, I love that. That's, that's great. That's one I've, I've not heard of before. I love and that. I, I do that every single day. So, you know, when I first sit down in the morning with my computer is firing up or whatever, I'll go on there. I'll, I'll go to, the local geotags. Cause if you use hashtags, you get a lot of other crap in there. Right. But if you use the geotags, it's a, you know, it's going to be within your region or your area. Cause you're picking a certain location. Excuse me. So, uh, yeah, I go to geotags, like all the local cities and I'll just like all the posts and I'll leave, you know, I'll leave comments on some of the top nine and you're just, it comes back to engagement and, you know, consistency and giving back and, just leaving. It's like handing out a business card every time. If somebody sees your page and they like it, they're going to follow. And whether they're a customer or their friend or their parents or their brother is a customer, it's one way or another, you're leaving an imprint. And then, you know, if they see one of my hats out on the street, somebody's wearing it, there's, you know, another point of not contact, but you know, there's a, there's a rule and not a rule, but sort of a thing in advertising and marketing. If somebody sees a logo six times, they're subconsciously comfortable with that company whether it's to make a purchase or to go visit them or whatever the case is. So, you know, that's where, you know, if you have a logo on your truck and then you have a hat out there and somebody else sees it on a shirt and then they see it on Instagram, then you have a Google ad running and then their friend tells them about it. It's all kind of attacking from all angles. So yeah, just the more you can get your name out there in a non spammy way, you don't want to, you know, leave the comment cool on a thousand pages. That's, (laughs) that's not going to do you any good. But if, you know, if you can leave a thoughtful comment on, other people's pages, they're going to read it. They're going to be like, Oh, 
thank you. You know, like that was a nice thing to say, or that was insightful, or that was thoughtful, or like you actually read my post, like you care, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I love it, man. Uh, John, anything to, before we start wrapping up or hitting, starting to hit our hour here? So we need to, as much as we'd love to keep talking, <laughs> start wrapping it up yeah, we, here. Uh, you have something else, John? No, I mean, I think it's great. I, I love how much you just like literally, uh, you said it earlier, how much you just grind it out, whether it's um, local marketing or engaging with your community or going door to door to get your name out there. Or, you know, uh, I noticed you do a ton of giveaways on social with the hats and, and the merch specifically. Um, great way to get your brand out there and recognize in the local area. Um, it's also just a great way to show appreciation to your audience. So just, I just love all the little, like, gr- like, you know, just hammer grinded out old school kind of marketing tactics that you're applying to the new age, uh, the new age methodology or, or implementation on the platform stuff. So it's really good stuff, dude. I yeah. think there's a ton of great value in, in, in the conversation for our audience specifically, because a lot of people we have listening, you know, are, are trying to sell and trying to get bigger at selling their stuff. Um, they want to take the leap from part-time to full-time and they want to know how, you know, real businesses are doing it. I think it's uh there's kind of like this mystique to a large scale business does things completely different when you can look at what the kind of the examples you were given. It's like, you're doing the same stuff as most of us. You're just, you're, you're yeah, just pounding it out. And you don't need a business degree to learn it. And one, one thing I want to add is that, uh, you know, once you go out there, you start liking, commenting, engaging, see what works, like try to monitor your, your following. Like if for one, for a week straight, every day you liked us, like all the hashtags in a certain or all the geotags in a certain geographic area, look at your following that week. Like, did it grow by a thousand or a hundred or 10? And then the next week, try something else and almost do like AB testing to figure out what works. Cause everyone's product is for different types of people. And maybe liking the local restaurant or the hotspot photos isn't for you, but maybe there's a local market that people that are shopping there are buying smaller items like a charcuterie board or, you know, any, any of those small items, like maybe that's where your customers are. Think about where your customers would hang out on a Saturday or a Sunday and go to that geotag and like everything and like get, get like, get into that community and make sure that your name is known there. That's that's great, man. It takes a lot of time. Like, for example, this weekend was the interior design show in Toronto, which is a big show. All the interior design show uh, people are there. And like, I go to the show to visit every now and then just to like see some people that I know and whatnot. But I didn't go this year, but I'll go to the hashtag and I'll like everything because it's all interior designers from Toronto. You know, find those local shows, find out where your customers are hanging out and hit them up there. You know, they, it's not like a direct sell. It's not a direct like, hey, do you want to buy my stuff? It's just leave a comment. Then they see your name. They're like, oh, there he is. Like he's, he does tables. I'll keep that in mind. Yeah. Tar- it's a very <laughs> passive way. Target rich environment. <laughs> Love it. Build those relationships. So, Good stuff. So Jeff, what we like to uh, ask our folks before they go off of the show is, uh, you know, if you were giving some advice to somebody just starting out, or if there's something you wish you'd had known when you just started out, you know, what would your advice be to to somebody in your situation or, or you five years ago from what you know today? Um, in just total business, not necessarily, you know, social media. Yeah, I think it's a tough question. You guys should have pre-warned me on this one. <laughs> nope. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, you know what I, what I learned from a mentor early on was be resiliently resourceful. And I know I mentioned it earlier, but you know, you may not have all the the money to spend on ads. And that's where I learned that sort of Instagram hack to get in front of my where my customers hang out. And you know, you may not have 
a Rolodex of all the suppliers in the world, but you've got Google and there's House. You can search on House and look within 50 kilometers of you to find contractors. And if you sell a contractor, something a contractor might want, go on House, search within 50 kilometers and call all those people. You know, you're, you're going to have to make those phone calls and, and do that hustle. So be resourceful and don't be afraid to hustle. Like if you got to make phone calls from 9am to 5pm during business hours and then do other stuff at nighttime, just, you got to do it. You got to put the time in. It's, you know, being an entrepreneur or business owner, isn't a nine to five job. It's, it's a, it's like a two or three full-time jobs all together. Okay. I mean, for me to build this up, it was, it was 7am to 11pm and even later some nights. And I was a zombie. I I had no social life and, you know, that was a sacrifice I was willing to give. You don't have to go to that extreme. Um, it's not entirely necessary, but you got to make some sacrifices. Um, I have a lot of other people like friends and people I know that are like, Oh, I, I want to do this. I want to do that. I'm like, all right, like go do it. Like you got to put the effort in. It's not going to fall into your lap. So don't be afraid to make a phone call and be resourceful. Look, look online, find the answers are all out there, you know? Don't be afraid to ask. You know, I've reached out to a lot of, I guess, like Canadian celebrities in this and that, and a lot of them respond to you. A lot of people are afraid to reach out to them, but you can reach out to a lot of people and they'll actually respond. Find out what platform they're big on and reach out to them if you want to give them something for free for exposure and just be resourceful. Always think like there is a way to do everything. Well, there's multiple ways to do everything, but be resourceful in how you need and how you get what you want to get, you know? Love that. Great advice. Great advice, man. Well, this has been a great conversation and I know that uh, people are going to love it because again, you know, getting some more product people on here, we're going to try to do more of that on the show. Uh, but Jeff, it's been awesome talking to you, brother. Thank you for all the experience and knowledge. Uh, and we're just loving watching you kill it over there on Instagram, man. Well, I appreciate you guys having me. And uh, if we ever want to do a 2.0, if there's something else people want to hear or want to know, I, I have no problem doing another, another podcast down the road and uh, try to answer more questions and if I have more, more value to give, I'll give it. And yeah, I just, I love giving back. It's, it's a lot of fun. So awesome, man. So for all of you that want to follow Jeff, um, we'll have all of his social links uh, for you guys in the show notes, as well as um, on the Instagram, we'll definitely be tagging Jeff in, uh, in a couple of the posts. I got some great quotes here, some great insights. I uh, really appreciate having you dude. Um, I look forward to seeing you at the next show we're at together. I don't know what that's going to be, but, uh, but this has been a blast, man. Thank you so much. I've learned a ton. Awesome, man. Thank you guys for having me and uh, we'll talk soon. See ya. All right, Jeff. See you, buddy. Take care. John, that was awesome, man. Jeff has got such an awesome story about the grind. I love it. It was awesome talking to a product guy. I mean, what were some of the things that you took from the, the conversation so Jeff had a lot of interesting perspective. What I really dig is how still ingrained in like almost all of the, I guess, trench work is um, with his business. Still hands on with a lot of it. Um, he had a he had a lot of really good stuff there. Um, one thing I want to touch on, starting at the beginnings, where Jeff said um, saying no uh, early on, he just took every job that he had. I think that is something that all of us can relate to. Um, and you realize a company doing over a million in revenue, uh, these guys still all started out the same, and that's a lot of where our patrons and all of our questions come from is those guys in that similar boat. Um, I love that he just continually grinds it out uh, and, and is in there uh, doing all the dirty work still, um, whether it's going door to door and introducing himself at trade shows or hopping into your DMs on social media and creating some um, great relationships there. 
Uh, Jeff touched on going with your gut. Trust your intuition. I think that that is something that a lot of us tend to not do and we try to overthink and overanalyze things. Uh, But he runs his business on a lot of feel and a lot of gut feel. So I thought that was something that was uh, truly interesting about him. And then I love how he wrapped up with being resiliently resourceful. I think that concept is something that a lot of us um, tend to forget because we do the, the Superman and try to do everything ourselves when you should be using your network and your relationships to help you out as much as possible. So great stuff there with Jeff. I learned a ton personally, being that I have a very similar business to where he was a couple years ago. Um, and I think that that was, you know, that episode specifically is going to provide a ton of value for our audience and was super pumped to have him on. Super thankful as well. Absolutely. It was great hearing him talk about the just that impact of social media and how he has basically built his business around it, uh, which is which is just fantastic. Um, so, yeah, guys, let us know who else that you would like to hear from. We have been getting some comments and, and DMs about folks that um, you'd like to hear from on the podcast. Let us know. We'd love to hear if there's somebody that's killing it that you'd like to know about. We do have uh, a list of folks that we've already been talking to and and getting on the calendar, uh, but we would also love to always hear some, some new ideas on that. But right now, we're going to jump into the after show. Uh, like we mentioned at the top of the show there, if you want to be part of the after show, you can head over to patreon.com forward slash made for profit. And there's a link in the show notes and check that out. And uh, until next time, guys, have a good one. So thank you guys for checking out the show. If you'd like any more information, you can head over to madeforprofit.com. We'll have our show notes as well as our email list subscription you can sign up for. There you'll receive tips of the week as well as all of our other actionable content. If you're digging the show, we'd love to get a five-star review over on iTunes and we would greatly appreciate that. If you have any other questions or suggestions, you can email us at madeforprofitpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love any of your input as well as any of your future show topic suggestions. You can hit us up on Instagram at madeforprofit where we will be answering your questions and giving out tips to help you grow on your own social networks. So once again, we really want to thank you guys for tuning in and we will catch you on the next episode.